Hey everyone, Mark from Hacker Job here, uh, bringing you the latest episode of the Tech Recruitment Show. So, for those that don't know, the Tech Recruitment Show is a brand new podcast from Hacker Job, featuring some of the sharpest minds in the in-house recruitment community. We're going to be covering loads of different topics. Um, and today we're definitely going to go through some of these. So we're going to be touching on areas such as candidate experience, seeing resourcing as a, as a strategic function, as well as also building and managing uh, resourcing teams. Here at Hacker Job, we're always super passionate about all things tech recruitment. We've built a tech marketplace that uses the best of humans and technologies to, to match technical people with really exciting companies. And throughout this series, not only are we going to be learning from, from experts, but we'll also be sharing some of our insights along the way. Which leads me to today's guest, who I'm very excited to uh, have on the show. He is a, a fellow Man United fanatic, and I think that is probably how we bonded initially. But uh, please welcome John Burnett from Fortworks. John, welcome to the show. Cheers, Mark. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. So, John, before we dive into the important stuff... Actually, maybe we'll start with the important stuff. How are you coping without watching your beloved Man United each week? Uh, it's tough. It's, um, yeah, I think there's so much out there on different social feeds of on this day, X amount of years ago, um, you know, seems so far away. But uh, yesteryear, Champions League triumphs, um, even saw one this morning, actually, Van der Sar saving a penalty. So um, coping with old, old reels. But um, yeah, looking forward and obviously want it all to be safe it's not going to be the same anyway as it when it comes back but um but yeah that day will come and uh yeah uh, being at Old Trafford seems a, a very future thought but um I'm sure we'll get back to it yeah it's, it's such a shame because we had just hit a, a decent rain of form but we won't turn this whole episode into a United show I'm sure we I'm sure we easily could but it's, <laughs> um, it's, it's also a super exciting time for you personally I understand You've already got four children in the family, how you describe the children, two, two human types, two pug types, and, and a fifth on the way. Indeed, yeah, of the um, human variety. Uh, so that'll take it to a five. Um, yeah, three human, two pugs. So yeah, exciting time, nervy time, um, any day now. So you know, please, we managed to, to get this, um, get this in, in time. But, um, but yeah, uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, and, and thank you for, for making the time. I really, really appreciate it. So, so with the show, John, what we, what we always want to start on is, is to get to understand the, the person's background that we're speaking to. Um, and quite often we get the same answer, you know, I didn't really plan on going into recruitment, I kind of fell into it. But you have one of the most interesting stories um, of, of entering the world of recruitment. Uh, a, a qualified teacher then uh, straight into a, a purebred internal role. Why don't you give us uh, the lowdown on, on your background and, and kind of talk us through where you're at today as well? Yeah, so the purebred piece, I was told by a connection a while ago, and it's um, been one of those tongue-in-cheek things that stuck, really. Um, and I think then the more you think about it as you meet people and fellow heads of recruitment or recruiters in functions, um, most people have got a blend. They either started an agency, then moved in-house, usually through relationships built, um, and or sometimes the reverse, but there's usually a blend. Um, but I've always worked in-house, um, as you rightly say, qualified to be a teacher, studied at Reading University for four long, long years. Um, and to be fair, enjoyed my study, enjoyed, you know, making, um, you know, lifelong friends. Um, I met my wife at Reading University, so um, definitely good things came out of it. But 
in terms of sort of year three, year four, I couldn't picture myself as a teacher long term. Um, was kind of struggling with seeing myself in in the environment and um, progression and just the the energy and passion I didn't really feel was there. So led me to explore, you know, what do I want to do? What could I do? Um, I always wanted it to be a, you know, a people thing, but I thought of looking at people and business, um, mixing the two together and there you have it, recruitment. So um, yeah, slight deviation from the plan, but started interviewing various places, interviewed at a very big um, global agency who told me uh, they liked me, but I'd be knocking uh, on their door in a week telling, telling them I wanted to leave. So um, at the same time, I was interviewing in-house. It was actually with Symantec, my first in-house role. Um, so big security giants um, and a different structure to how they have today, but um, got a lucky break. And, and I guess the rest history led me from one role to another in-house and um, yeah, wouldn't change it for the world. Amazing, amazing, and and today in in one of the leading you know consultancies in the world in in, in Fort Works, how how's that experience been? Very different, I imagine, to to the world before at Zendesk. Yeah, amazing experience, and I think it was one of those, um, and I guess advice in the market, but just generally um, as well on the other side of things, when people want you know, that next person in a role, there always needs to be something new, different, a stretch, something exciting about it. I think Ghana being able to drag and drop talent, like for like, same position to same position. I guess, selfishly, from my perspective, I saw the role of ThoughtWorks as just something a bit different, different, different business model. It was pretty much pure play operating in the, the tech space of which previous roles, um, we know the whole remit with a team looking after different areas. So, it was one of those things in my toolkit I didn't really feel I had. Um, that problem of supply and demand, right talent, right time um, to be able to fulfill um, awesome outcomes for our clients. And um, I guess sold the dream a bit, um, definitely materialized, nearly been there two years now. But, um, but yeah, lucky to be here. And um, I guess, you know, still a lot more for us to tackle um, as a UK function and also a global team. So, yeah. Amazing. And, and I think you've touched on a, a couple of really interesting points there. But I guess, you know, looking at the world of consultancies where talent is the business, um, but, you know, in a lot of companies that isn't so clear cut. I think something that is constantly discussed is, is as resourcing leaders, how do we get recruitment to be seen as a strategic function, not just a delivery function? How can we have that seat at the table when, you know, C-suites uh, are making those broader decisions? And I know it's something that, you know, you've been really passionate about and, and done very successfully at your career. So how do we go about making organizations see resourcing and recruitment as a, as a more strategic function? It's, it's a big question. Um, and it's a tough one. It's never clean cut. It's not overnight. Um, so you need to work at it. And I think it starts with relationships and uh, education. I think that's probably the main one. Um, really describing and letting people into the the world of how the function works, you know, the different cogs in that big machine. Um, and even though small machines have multiple cogs. And I think businesses that understand, um, you know, how each step works and how each step and each role within a function is important um, means that I think the, you know, the recruitment are respected. They're seen as a value add rather than a service. Um, and ultimately you could argue recruitment are always a service because they are providing something to a, to a business that otherwise is selling a product or something else. But 
you know, for us and for lots of businesses, people ultimately are our products. We need our people and they're really amazing creative minds to, to create and, and transform, um, you know, things to, to help businesses grow and accelerate uh, on what they're trying to do. So, you know, for, for me at ThoughtWorks, some of that groundwork had been done. You know, it's a 27-year-old business. So, um, you know, people, their importance in our business and, you know, that seat at the table was also something that attracted me to the role, right? Because less of that graft and knocking down brick walls. And actually, um, you know, here's an opportunity to be part of the leadership team um, whilst also learning all these new things. So, yeah, I think to, to other businesses who don't see recruitment as that, you know, game changer that strategic partner um it's it is a two-way thing it's not just for talent leaders to be knocking down the door and saying you know look at us um you know we're strategic we're great come come and come and have a chat it's also businesses and c-suite and director levels to be um opening the dialogue the other way if that's been something that's not been happening until now no i absolutely agree and i think you've probably seen that over your career the the in-house recruitment model is being taken a lot more seriously, um, specifically in the UK uh, from, from our perspective. Over the last you know, decade, it's really, really grown. Do you, do you still have to have those conversations internally? And not necessarily about ThoughtWorks, but just broadly in the industry. Do you, do you still feel that there is that education needed as to why we should be using an internal function rather than using third-party agencies or an RPO model, etc.? Do you think that battle's been won or is that still a conversation that actually is having happening quite a lot especially when we're dealing with more of the, the technical stakeholders yeah i think it's it's probably at really different ends of the spectrum in lots of different industries right um and whether it's the maturity of a company from you know its brand and how established they are maybe even the size of said recruitment function within there'll always be a place for agency right there'll always be a place for um you know tools to drive efficiencies to find that right talent etc um Hack a job, for example. Um, <laughs> so, in terms of um, you know the the kind of bringing things in house, the value it brings, it's also around experience, which I know we'll probably touch on and talk about in candidate experience, but also the experience that the internal stakeholders get. You know, of hiring managers and people who are making those decisions or deciding to grow the business with X, Y, and Z feel that partnership internally they enjoy the experience and privilege to interview then you know that's how you're going to be turning heads and making sure that it's not just a flash in the pan it's not just a oh they're doing it so let's do it that they actually feel it's the right thing to do as well yeah it's a really interesting concept i was at um i was at an event listening to someone speak i can't remember his name now otherwise i'd uh, give him the credit but but he introduced the the concept of hiring manager experience and you know actually a lot of the best internal recruiters, not necessarily in your case, but have come from the agency world where they are used to dealing with, you know, a client. And I think actually um, one of the things that we see in the strongest internal recruiters is that their stakeholder management skills are exceptional. It's no longer just about finding the candidates. It's about taking the hiring manager or whoever it is on that, on that journey with them. How, how much do you think about that sort of hiring manager experience? So, uh, and we'll come on to candidate experience shortly, but, but you know, which isn't something that gets talked about anywhere near as much as, you know, CX and, and other areas. Yeah, true. It's, it's huge. And I guess um, previous roles and working product companies before, there would always be that head of department or said line manager, team leader, hiring manager who 
whilst would have an interview slate and various opinions, they would make the decision. And I think those stakeholders and stakeholders above and below, it's so important to have those close relationships with that, you know, they're part of it as well. It's not just recruitment to find the person um, and you kind of rinse and repeat and start again, but that they're part of, you know, the highs and the lows and improving that process too. Um, and that you get that feedback, you have open dialogue with them to make sure that, you know, you're, you're on the same page and next time it's better. I think that's the kind of key bit. But also, um, the reason I say previously in product companies, etc., at ThoughtWorks, we do hire a bit differently. So there's not really such thing as a hiring manager. There's not such thing as a line manager. Um, so actually, we very much hire attribute-based hiring, um, transparent to candidates on what it is we're assessing them against, and equally interviewers rather than hiring managers um, at kind of applicable grades to what it is we're assessing. We'll be looking for those things too. So it's more so a an experience that over the years we've got better and better, refined and refined. It used to be 10 steps really long. It's impossible to get hired at ThoughtWorks. That's a massive lie. Um, but in terms of where we've got it to now, it is a better experience for candidates. It's an immersive experience where feedback's given, um, you know, win or lose, success or not. Um, and that's something ingrained in our culture. We are a kind of a feedback culture, feedback business. And I think that, um, you know, experience and the voice of the employee, if you will, that we provide through this, um, you know, multi-touch point process where there's not one person who makes that decision um, is something unique to us and, and equally something I advise other businesses to, to take a look at and consider. Yeah, and I've always been amazed by ThoughtWorks. I think some of the, I think they push the boundaries in a lot of what's possible. I remember being at Wreckfest a couple of years ago and listening to all of the work you were doing on diversity and inclusion and all of the returnships and, and things like that, which I just absolutely love. But, but the, the idea of not having one single person make a decision on an interview is really interesting because I imagine it, it, it allows you to actually properly assess value-based interviews rather than the, the typical culture fit, which is, do I like this person? Am I going to get on with this person? You know, did they go to the same school as me or whatever? And you've got all of that bias. I imagine actually by removing that single decision maker and, you know, empowering people and standardizing the process, you actually build a much fairer, unbiased hiring process as well. Yeah, totally. It does. It removes that bias and adds perspective, right? So I think that's where, you know, something seen by someone else could be really valuable in that that end decision and I think in terms of how this is built up in a scorecard format on the ATS it means you have um, a really well rounded view on said candidate before making that hiring decision um, and equally if there are conflicting views there's a wash up you know if it's very much uh, this is clean cut there's no need then naturally um, we operate quickly as with as much pace as possible to progress but I think that view on the counter that some people will listen to that or, or look at that and say well that's kind of selection by committee and you've all got to agree and that sounds like a nightmare um don't get me wrong it can be sometimes but <laughs> um in terms of you know bringing all those minds back together um re-going over that that's the recruiter's job as well right so they're very much at the center of owning that um hiring experience if you will but drafting in those opinions and then being that advisor or the person pushing here and here and here to, to really understand uh, if someone has an opinion, why is that something that we could work on with, you know, feedback, pre-boarding, um, and or is it something at this recommended grade that we would expect anyway, etc. So it's, um, it is different. 
And yeah, I can just imagine some of those debates must be fascinating to be a part of. And I guess, you know, bringing it close to the the strategic element of of resourcing, how should resourcing be viewed? What should success look like for the recruitment function or talent acquisition function if we want to approach, you know, more of a strategic angle? Obviously, there's always the metrics of cost per hire, time to hire, diversity is becoming more and more important, you know, specifically gender diversity in tech, but it's important that, you know, other types of diversity aren't forgotten when we talk about that. But, you know, if we want recruitment to be seen as strategic, seen at a C-suite level, what does success look like for that function? I know it's a really hard question, so apologies if I've chucked it's, you a purple there. <laughs> it's <laughs> tough, but I'll probably give a simple answer in that, you know, results do speak for themselves. And I think it's an element of consistency, right? So um, making sure that... Um, you know, the business management leadership C-suite know that um, it's a performing function. They have confidence and there's an element of predictability about it, right? So with a lofty number of, um, you know, in our terms, technical talent, whilst making sure that, you know, that, that uh, inbound flow of talent is also diverse, 120, 130 hires in a year just for the UK, it's a sizable number. And actually that the business knows that when plans are being worked on, the, the kind of uh, budgets are all being underpinned by that, that they have confidence that's, that's not even a, a question. It's a more, how can we stretch that? And or have you got all the right tools in place for this to happen? So I think, you know, the predictability um, and very much recognized as that key lever in that um, growth, you know, journey of a business, for example. Amazing, amazing. Um, and, and switching gears slightly, something that I know you're also incredibly passionate about, um, not just from ThoughtWorks, but, but your recruitment career is candidate experience. You know, candidate experience is, is you know, a much, uh, much uh, talked about topic. Uh, and there are many cliches used. But, but just give us your two cents on, on candidate experience. How do we optimize for, for candidate experience? What, what is the best approach to that? What's worked really well and, and what's some of the lessons you've learned over the years? Yeah, it's a good, good question. And it, it's a big thing. It could be a game changer when, you know, candidates, uh, they've got options, right? There's a lot of choice. And I know we're in a different market now as we talk um, and there will be a lot more talent opportunity for employers to potentially capitalize on whilst that's a horrible word to use. Um, that's the reality, right? But I think regardless, um, candidates are not just interviewing um you know, at one place, they're interviewing elsewhere. So if they have a positive experience, if they get to know the business, the role, can vision, um, if they can kind of see their future with the company, then it's going to be something um, that you can try and get across during your process. And I think, um, you know, the other piece to it is, sorry, we're not just interviewing them, they're interviewing with us and they are interviewing us as to if it is the right place to grow their career. So I think, not to be putting people through the middle of the time and having all of those tough conversations, actually um, making sure that we're kind of best foot forward, we're selling, we're being the best version of ourselves during interview processes is something that can get overlooked because it's, we want the best person for this role. We want it now. Um, and it's very much me, 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 rather than let's think about the candidate. So I think just having that slight pivot from time to time, is super useful. The current macroeconomic situation is going to really test people on this, right? Because, you know, if in a talent scarce market, you know, your EVP, your, your candidate experience is crucial, you can, you, you can afford to get lazy right now as an employer, um, it is the reality. 
but I, I believe, and it'd be interesting to get your, your take on it, that actually now is the time you have to double down on candidate experience. Now is the time that you've got to have a stronger EVP. It, it, it's got to mean something. You know, no longer can it be some values that we stick on a wall that we repeat, you know, every you know, quarterly offsite or whatever. It's now we've actually got to get judged by it and live by it. And, we, you know, we've obviously seen some amazing um, brands, you know, lay off people in all sorts of ways um, in this crisis. And some people have been praised for how they've handled it. You know, some have been absolutely crucified and rightly so. So I think it's in, like, well, what's your take? Are, are people going to get lazy and kind of experience? Are we going to go, actually, talent isn't as scarce as it was six months ago. I can be sloppy. I can have a 10 stage process. I can, you know, suddenly I've got a bit more power and I'm going to make them fear it. What, what, what's your take? Yeah, again, I think there's going to be different ends of the spectrum. Um, you know, for us, we're, we're very much limited. We're pausing hiring at the moment. You know, I'll happily share that. We're not the only ones. Um, but for us, it's kind of the pausing, the planning, and then the progressing. So actually, during this period, what things, as you say, can we double down on? What can we get better at? Um, and our kind of lofty vision as a recruitment team, we get together once a year, um, seems surreal now that we all actually got together um but we did in glorious manchester um and uh very much kind of revise what it is we wanted to achieve for the year um which comprised of about 15 initiatives that kind of rolled up to you know bets and buckets if you will supporting our vision as a function um and actually since um covid and the impact this has had from a kind of business perspective and, and particularly hiring perspective, we've actually added 16 initiatives. So we've kind of done it again. <laughs> um, and this was all things on a, on a wish list, right? A backlog. Um, things that we would do over time or probably they would feature on next year's vision, right? Um, and so actually the opportunity for us to be better placed from a candidate experience and from a, you know, an assessment and alignment perspective post COVID, um, you know, it's, it's going to be so much further along than, than where we would have ever been or dreamt of being. So I think whilst, you know, there's, there's the negativity there, some of the positives and minds that we've kind of channeled to other activities have meant that, you know, when it comes back to dusting off the cobwebs and our processes being switched on and running again, um, we do feel there'll be a material difference to candidates who you know, still in some cases will have choice and it's important when there's choice that you stand out. And, and I think that's right. You know, in the world that we, we work in, you know, whilst talent might become more available, um, they're still going to have options. You know, it's still, that there, there's still going to be multiple companies hiring. Um, and that's why I think the companies that manage to double down on candidate experience will, will, will come out even, even stronger. Um, Something you, you touched on there, um, you know, doing doing a team offsite. Um, I know you have built many recruitment teams over the years and, and managed multiple teams. Um, I guess talk us just talk us through your your management approach, your leadership approach. How do you get the best out of a of a recruitment function with balancing all of the you know the challenges we've talked about, um, whether that be time, cost, DNI, whatever it might be. What, what's your your method? Um, still trying to work it out. Uh, <laughs> um, it's a tough one, and you know, I have been asked this before, and it's um, it's something I like to reflect on sometimes. The previous teams, high-performing teams, and you know the team I've got currently, I'm super, super proud of. They're an amazing bunch, um, and it is what makes me tick at work. There's no two ways about it. So I think it's you know trying to get to a point of building a team that can deliver your plan today but it can also either stretch towards or easily achieve your plan for tomorrow um, so for me it's about 
those all-rounders that you can bring in. I mean, we talk about, you know, Cruyff and Dutch total football. It's kind of getting to that point of total recruitment where you have someone that no job's too small. Um, and equally, if there's a big task asked of them, they'll rise to the challenge. Um, how you find that in an interview process and through conversations is tricky. Um, but I, I mean, in terms of, you know, the, the teams previously either, you know, they need to be set up to deliver what the business is asking, you know, recruitment to deliver, right? So if you need specialisms, if you need specialist recruiters hiring in certain areas, um, that you try and draw on some of their previous experiences, but above all, are they a good, um, you know, are they a good ambassador for the business? Are they someone who can take candidates on that journey, tell a story, um, you know, be resilient, be tenacious, all those kind of softer qualities that you could have, you know, 10, 15 years experience on a CV, worked for all these stellar companies, um, but equally that's not necessarily going to tell you that they're going to be successful within your business or function. So you know, very much getting to know people during a process, what makes them tick, where they want to take their career um, and trying to be as transparent as possible about those next steps for them. If they were successful and to join the business, if actually it is a small lean team, where are some of the limitations there and actually throw some nicer curveballs to say, well, if progression is not going to come for you in one, two years time, um, you know, how's that going to feel or what are we going to do about that? Um, and then, you know, when they're through the door and part of the function, they're part of how it looks, right? They're included in every conversation, whether it's stand-ups, team meetings or one-to-ones. It's um, very much a continuation, right? Yeah, I think absolutely spot on. And I love the concept of total recruitment. I'm excited <laughs> the John Burnett's book on total recruitment. But, but on that, right, I think it's really interesting because... I've actually seen almost the opposite happen where TA functions have gone down this really hyper-specialized route, you know, where you break the, the funnel down to you've got people that are just sourcing and then they're setting up calls for people that are just doing the screening and then they're managing people through the process and then separate team manages the offer, right? Which I think, you know, good luck designing yeah. a process like that with, with candidate experience in mind. I think that's, that's a challenge. But, but how, do we, how do we develop the skills? Because I think people really underestimate just how broad a role an internal TA person has to do, right? There's the stakeholder management, which quite often is a, a challenging conversation, educating them on the market. That might be salary, that might be skills, that might be geography. Then there's the employer branding, the EVP, there's DNI, there's sourcing. There's so much to the role. How do you go about building these total recruiters um, in your team? Yeah, it's, um, I think, exposure as well as that, sharing between the team right and whether it's on a smaller scale and pairing um is you know very much seen in a technical sense in a dev sense but actually pairing recruiters um on sourcing sessions if they're learning a new role set that they've not recruited for before is probably the best way of learning right it's kind of learning on the job but equally what does good look like and really tuning into that um but I think it's layering on responsibilities too. So I talked about, you know, there might not be in a small function that next level until I decide to maybe move on. There's not another head of recruiting, right? Um, <laughs> which is equally as frustrating for me as it may be for others in the team. And I genuinely mean that when I say it. Um, so in terms of, you know, what, what could be delegated, what could be built into people's roles, I think the key is, as I've mentioned before, that it, you know, no one can sort of roll their eyes at a small job uh, and equally a big job. But if they can do absolutely everything in between, then that variety that they get, which is often something I see in 
you know, product companies and specialist recruiters, they get bored. And actually then when they decide to go on a job hunt or go on a move, it's because they're bored. It's not because they don't like the business they work in or don't like their colleagues. Um, they think the grass is greener and they can get something else, but ultimately they move for exactly the same role. Um, and then they probably miss a lot of things they had before. So if you can make it that someone has as much variety in their day, their week, their month, their year, and that actually those new things they're learning, the new conversations they're having from, you know, speaking to a project management community and what it takes to, to hire successful people in that space uh, and tweak and improve the process, but also then working on, you know, infrastructure, for example, that's stretching the brain and your priorities in a way that many functions probably don't have. And so, again, it links back to this total recruiting and giving not only people variety, to help them and keep them engaged, but also make them even more invaluable to the business and the function. I'm excited to see the Pep Guardiola of, of John Burnett's Total <laughs> Recruitment. If you're the Johan Cruyff of Total Recruitment, I'm excited to see the Pep. But, but no, I think it's a really, I, I never considered it like this. And I wonder if that's partly why we've seen such an explosion of contract recruiters. Mm. Now, I'm sure money's also got something to do with that. I'm not, not that naive, but, but you know, th this idea that, you know, in product businesses, you know, I know my tax stack, I know what I need to go and find. I've done it a million times before. I'm just going to bounce around from company to company, three months in, six months in. Because I'm not getting that variety, actually, I'm just going to come in, fill roles and, and disappear maybe. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think that's... Um a good explanation for a lot of it. Like you say, money's maybe a, one of those side reasons, but, um, but yeah, I think the, the variety piece, um, making yourself and being motivated to make yourself invaluable and indispensable to a business, um, whilst equally learning along the way is, is something that, you know, having a flexible moldable team is, um, is where you get the real benefit, I think. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I guess, you know, before we finish with a fun little game that I didn't actually prep you on, but don't worry, uh, it's fun, <laughs> I promise. Um, you know, if you're, if you're looking into your crystal ball, and I feel like you must do this a little bit because, you know, you've developed total recruitment. So I'm, I'm excited about what's next. So how do you see the, the internal world of recruitment evolving over the next five, 10 years? What, what do you think is, are, are the big trends we're going to see? Um, how do you see it all playing out? Yeah, it's a really good question, actually. And the next sort of five, 10 years, we probably don't really know what's going to happen over the next five, 10 days, right? So um, you've thrown me one there. But, um, I, you know, I think, as I said earlier, briefly, there's, there's always going to be a place for external partners, you know, the, the world of agency, and they'll always inform strategies equally. There are a ton of companies, be them you know, dinosaur, very established companies who haven't woken up to new trends within recruiting, you know, candidate experience, ways of assessment, etc. So I think there's still a lot of businesses that need to adopt other current trends and tools and ways of working in the market. But I think beyond this, um, you know, teams and, and the recruiter, I think a lot of people say it and, and I think they're probably already there rather than five, 10 years, but recruiters will continue to be, um, you know, that, that sort of business partner and operating more in that space for businesses, you know, advising on an individual level, um, you know, C-suite uh, leadership teams and actually being able to, um, you know, inform how things work and what we do. Um, for me, another big thing is regardless of location and location's a big one at the moment with, of course, largely forced remote working. Um, I think that will play its part that, 
businesses who are still recruiting or are still in some shape or form have the lights on um, will recognize that value doesn't necessarily mean location and physical presence. Um, I think that I hope means that there will be more opportunities for recruiters up and down the country, um, you know, far east, far south, far north, that would have been tied or restricted uh, for opportunities based on, you know, where that HQ was. Um, and I'd love to think that actually every kind of corner of the UK and more broadly across Europe, um, businesses see recruiting and the value more generally of workforce um, uh, not as necessarily a physical being or presence, but that uh, the job can be formed equally as powerfully remotely. No, absolutely. I think, you know, if, every year for the last 10 years, Deloitte released their future of work and they say remote work is the future. And I think, you know, the, the, this whole situation might have accelerated that, but it's, it's really interesting, obviously not just, you know, for the software world, but as you said, for the, for the recruitment world, for, for every, for every role, you know, the reality is most businesses have been able to operate just fine over the last eight, 10 weeks remotely. And that massively challenges it. We've seen, you know, a lot of the big tech giants come out and say they are now, you know, remote first companies. I think Coinbase was the latest uh, Interesting. Th this week. So, so what, what dynamic do you think that might, that might make? Will it make uh, our job as recruiters maybe slightly easier because suddenly, you know, talent is more available because I can recruit across, you know, a much bigger geography than, than I had before. It, what, what impact do you think it actually might end up having? Yes, good point. I mean, it could, if it increases the, the pool, if you will, to go hunting, then um, that might put strain on certain recruiters' styles and how they organize their day and manage their pipelines and reverse engineer um, you know, their numbers to get to those critical hires or targets that they're, they're tasked with, right? But you know, I think um, the other challenge and more generally at the moment is that togetherness, sense of purpose, feeling that, um, you know, culture or belonging to a business, right? So I think that'll be no different within a recruitment team. I think, you know, typically whilst introverts, extroverts and everything in the middle, recruitment teams like to bounce ideas off each other as do many teams, right? So I think having um, the tools to underpin whatever structure that looks like if non-physical is also going to be something that's going to make that successful. So we, we took this approach quite early on that we went, we're, we're just going to go um, really, I don't, I don't mean the word aggressive in a wrong way, but offensive, you know, go on the front foot in, in this yeah. crisis. So we, we built tools quite quickly. We built a remote uh, technical interviewing tool, but we have considered remote collaboration a lot and, and how that's going to work in, you know, onboarding new staff, et cetera. So, so watch this space. But yes. before I let you go, John, we're going to play our game. I was skeptical when Daisy gave me this game, but okay. I've done it a couple of times now and it's worked. <laughs> so it's our, it's our COVID-19 this or that game. So I'm going to give you two options. Yeah. And I need a quick fire response. And you'll see all yeah. of the options are kind of related to, to the world we live in at the moment. Okay. Sound fun? Scary, yes. <laughs> right, let's give it a go. So first one up, full tracksuit or t-shirt and jeans? Full tracksuit. Nice. Full English fry up or a slice of toast? It's a slice of toast. <laughs> Uh, football manager or FIFA? Ooh, can I choose both? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, tea or coffee? Coffee. Tiger King or normal people? Normal people. Interesting. Uh, running laps or lounging around? Lounging around. Uh, chocolate or crisps? Crisps. And final one, watching TV or playing video games? 
playing video games. <laughs> I, gathered I, that from the, I gathered that from the FIFA and Football Manager answer. <laughs> uh, but John, it's been, it's been amazing having the show, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Um, if people want to connect further with you, pick your brains about anything that you've mentioned today, where, where's the best place for them to find you? Yeah, LinkedIn's cool. Um, partially active on Twitter, more so from, you know, yesteryear Man United goals. But, um, but yeah, probably LinkedIn and um, love to continue the conversation if anyone else wants to, to talk more. Amazing. John, thank you for your time and thank you for everybody tuning in.